Hey, welcome to the Kingdom Church Podcast. We're so glad you could join us. You're listening to the ninth part in our series called The Gospel of Mark. Whatever you're doing, wherever you are, sit back, relax. Here it is. Hello, good morning, good afternoon, wherever, whenever you're watching this, man. I'm so glad you guys could be here. My name's Harrison. I'm the pastor here at Kingdom Church. And if it's your first time here, just honored that you could join us. I'm just believing that God has something to speak to us today. We are finishing uh, a series that has spanned over two months. This is the ninth part in our series going through the book of Mark, uh, the gospel of Mark. And listen, if you've missed any of these messages, I encourage you to go on YouTube, go on Spotify, uh, SoundCloud, wherever you consume these things and binge it, binge it Netflix style. We got like nine hours of stuff for you to watch because I believe that in it, uh, God has something for you. And so if you've seen them all, it's all good. We're finishing today, and uh, I just believe that God wants to speak to us. So listen, in the chat, I want to hear from you uh, this morning. If you're there in the chat, you can just throw a wave or something. So glad uh, we have our community. So we're in Mark chapter 14 as we finish this series off. I want to read this to us to get us going. It says, while he, speaking about Jesus, was in Bethany reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Verse 4, some of those presents were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor, and they rebuked her harshly. Verse 6, leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them at any time you want. But you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare my body for burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the good news, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. I kind of went back and forth uh, with my title this week, but this is the one I landed on. And uh, I want to call our message this morning, God should have canceled you. God should have canceled you. Uh, I'm super excited to to preach this message because I want to speak about something. And I want to speak to uh, an issue that I think is really present in our culture today. But I think that it's it's not just today. I think it's kind of like a human thing. We'll see that as we go along. But I think today in our culture, in our society, for us as people, I think that we are living in a culture of offense. We are living in a culture of offense. And what that means is we are living in a time, in a place, in a space where everyone seems to be offended by everything. And if that offends you, thank you for proving my point. I think that we just live in this, in this culture of offense where, where everyone just seems to be offended by everything. If you guys are in the chat, you can let me know if, if you feel like we're in this culture, right? I'm just, I'm offended. Everyone is so offended. And I think really in the last like year and a half, it's kind of just shot more into our, into our uh, field of vision more than ever before, at least for a lot of us. And it's just everyone's offended, offended, offended. But what I think we've also seen is that offense has not just stayed at offense. In fact, over time, it has birthed something. And it's birthed something that I like to call, and maybe you guys call it this as well, but it's this thing, this idea, this phenomenon known as cancel culture. 
And so what cancel culture is, I think it's actually born out of a culture of offense. And so literally, it's like someone says something or something happened that offends me. And I'm so offended, I need to tell you how offended I am. And so therefore, you need to be canceled. Anyone ever heard of cancel culture? Anyone experienced this in the last little bit? I think that's the culture that we're currently, currently living in. Now, I have a theory when it comes to cancel culture, and I really want to suss it out in this message. But I have a theory that the heart behind offense and the heart behind cancel culture, it actually runs contrary to the message of Jesus. And I want to really show that this morning. But I also just have a theory, and it's something that I hold to personally, and maybe you guys feel this way, maybe not. But I just have this thing where I think that if you are critical of other people, if you are constantly critical of other people, you better be prepared for people to be critical of you. If I were to put it into terms that kind of matches the language and the lingo of where I want to go this morning, what I would say is this. If you seek to cancel people, you will one day be canceled. I would say it like this. If you seek to cancel people, one day people will seek to cancel you. And I want to kind of explain it, um, a story this happened um, like about a couple of weeks ago, a month ago. Um, it's involving the actress, singer uh, Demi Lovato. Some of you guys uh, may have heard of her. Uh, she's a famous uh, celebrity. And about a month ago, and I kind of want to just uh, illustrate this idea of cancel culture and what it looks like. Um, so about a month ago, she went into a frozen yogurt shop. And uh, when she went into this shop, she saw... Uh, sugar-free cookies, she saw dairy-free options, she saw gluten options, and uh, what she said was that all of these things really triggered her, and so what she decided to do is she decided to go on social media, and she has 100 million followers, come on somebody, and she decided to put this Froyo company on blast, and she went on to say, I could not believe what happened when I walked in there seeing these gluten-free, dairy-free, sugar-free options, do they not know how toxic that is? to people that struggle with self-esteem. And she went on to call it toxic diet culture. She said, these, these Froyo people should do better. So the Froyo company responded. And they responded to Demi and they said, hey Demi, the reason we have fat-free options, uh, dairy-free, gluten-free is because our frozen yogurt is for everyone. We have people that are celiac. We have people that are gluten-free. We have people that are vegan. And you all know vegans because they'll tell you. And so she said, the, the, the Froyo company said, Demi, that's why we have all of these options. And Demi responded. And she said, don't make excuses, do better. Now, whatever the fact, whether she was really offended or not is beside the point. However, when she went on this rant to her 100 million followers, I'm assuming that she was expecting for her, her crowd of followers to be on her side, right? Like she's offended, let's cancel Froyo. Come on, somebody. But what happened, if you guys know the story, is that many of her millions of followers actually sided with the frozen yogurt company. And what happened over time was they began to push back on Demi. And they began to say, no, you shouldn't be canceling them. You need to be canceled. And so what happened, ironically enough, at the end of the whole situation, Demi Lovato issued an apology to the frozen yogurt company. And now some of you guys are saying, Harrison, why do I care about Demi Lovato? Please listen, do not care. 
uh, have better things to do with your life. Uh, but the reason I want to tell you guys this story is because I think it perfectly illustrates this idea of cancel culture and really this idea of offense. You see, what happens is this. You can be, if you want to be, perpetually offended. What that means is everyone and everything offends me. And you can constantly and continually seek retribution. But what I want us to understand from the story of Demi Lovato is if that is the way that we live, we must be prepared for when the shoe is on the other foot. Because if we are constantly seeking to cancel, call out, get rid of people, we need to be prepared for when the same thing happens to us. Now, some of you guys are saying, look, Pastor, like, is this even biblical? Why am I talking about Debbie Lovato? Let's get to the word this morning, because I want, I want to show you guys um, in the Bible uh, just what, what God has to say uh, about all of this stuff, because I believe that the heart behind cancel culture and really the heart behind offense, I believe that there is something so much deeper than often meets the eye. And I believe that Jesus wants to give us a better option than simply offense and really uh, just canceling people. So I want to get into uh, Mark chapter 14. We read it off the top, but I want to get back into it. So listen, in the chat, if you're there, uh, can you just say, I'm ready to go? If you're ready, just, just, just type it, I'm ready. If you're home alone, you can shout, I'm ready. But typing is better uh, in the building, our small audience. You guys can shout, I'm ready, if you're ready to go. Come on, let's go. Mark chapter 14, I want to read this again. Uh, this is Jesus. It says, Jesus, he, is the G- Jesus, was in Bethany reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper. A woman came with an alabaster jar of expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on Jesus's head. Now, I want to break some things down. This story is really important, biblically speaking. It's so important that it actually shows up in more than just Mark's book. It actually shows up in other Gospels as well. Um, And most specifically, I think, when you look at the story in the other Gospels, it gives us a fuller picture. So, for example, in John chapter 12, it actually lets us know who this woman is. You see, we, we, we know from Mark 14 only that she's a woman. But in the book of John, it lets us know that the woman was actually Mary. Mary of Bethany is her name. And so then we can kind of begin to set this scene up. So there's this party happening at this man named Simon the leper's home. How many guys would like the title Simon the leper? What that means, like leper is leprosy. So it's literally like Simon the dude that has leprosy. Like what a great title. Now, what most scholars will let you know is that Simon currently does not have leprosy. Because leprosy was a skin disease, extremely contagious, and when you had leprosy, people stayed away, much like people stay away if you have COVID. So he was not Simon with leprosy, he was Simon that had leprosy, and most people believe that the reason he doesn't have leprosy is because Jesus healed him. And so one theory is that perhaps they're actually having a celebration at Simon's home in honor of the fact that Jesus healed him. And so that's kind of the context, that's the picture. And it is here where Jesus is reclining at the table that Mary comes in and Mary pours this perfume onto Jesus and she begins to anoint him. Now, when we read this in in like 2021 terms, it sounds really weird, right? Like, I don't want anyone pouring something on my kicks. Like, what's going on? Like, what kind of party is this? But you need to understand, in the first century, they had this thing and it was called anointing. And so uh, many times at homes, what you would do is if there was a guest of honor, you would anoint them. And you would anoint them usually with olive oil. And you'd kind of put a little dab on their head um, just as a sign of respect to know this person is dignified. 
Now, what Mary does here in this moment is that she kind of goes above and beyond. Instead of using olive oil, what the Bible says is that she pours this very expensive perfume onto Jesus. And she doesn't just use a little dab. Instead, she pours the entire bottle on him. What we find out a, a little while later is that that perfume was extremely, extremely valuable. One commentator, he puts it like this. He says, the best ointment was preserved in alabaster, which is what Mary had. The value of the perfume and its identification as nard suggests that this was a family heirloom that was passed on from one generation to another, from mother to daughter. So you need to understand, this thing was extremely valuable, not only valuable in terms of what it was and what it meant to Mary's family, but what the Bible later tells us is that this was actually worth a year's wages. So you need to understand, what Mary did here, she was bawling out on Jesus, pours it on him, anoints him with very worthy and expensive perfume. And so what you need to understand in this moment, what I'm trying to get us to see, is that what Mary does when she sees Jesus, she anoints him with her absolute best. She gives Jesus her absolute best. And as I read that, I began to wonder, what could our lives look like if we gave Jesus our absolute best? What, and I don't got time to preach this, but what could our lives look like if we went above and beyond for Jesus? You see, so many times we're satisfied with the bare minimum. So many times when it comes to our time, I give Jesus my leftovers. So many times with my talents, I give Jesus kind of the bare minimum. With my treasures, Lord have mercy, don't make me start. I don't give Jesus the first fruits, I give him what's kind of left over. But when I read this, I began to wonder, what could our lives look like if instead of giving Jesus leftovers, we gave him the first and the best? And I just have this belief that when we give Jesus the best, Jesus does more with whatever we have than we ever could ourselves. But I think that Mary does something here in this moment. And I think that Mary perceives something that maybe we miss. You see, the reason that Mary gives Jesus her best is because she perceives something that I think, like I said, many of us miss, and I wonder if they missed it in this story. What Mary perceives is that Jesus is worthy. The reason we give him our best is because Jesus is worthy. When we understand who he is, when we understand what he's done for us, we give him our best and we believe that he will do more. When I give Jesus my daily schedule, I believe he can organize it better than I ever could. I got to stop because I'm not preaching about this. It's a different sermon. But Mary gives Jesus her best. Everyone following? Now, I'm assuming as this goes on, you could kind of think the people there, like they would recognize, man, Mary's giving her best. Right, like, what a moment, what an act of devotion. But look what happens. It says, some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages. And the money given to the poor, and they rebuked her harshly. Can you imagine Mary gives this gift of her best? And instead of praise, she's rebuked. The Bible says they rebuked her harshly. Now, what happens here in this story is something that I think happens so often in our society. 
You see, when I look at the story, what I begin to see is that when the people looked at the gift that Mary had given them, instead of looking it through the lens of, wow, what a gift, what an act of devotion, instead of looking at, at all the things that she was doing for Jesus, they tried, instead of looking at the best, they went to the worst. Listen to this. Instead of assuming that Mary was acting in devotion, they went on to say, I bet you she's actually just acting in selfishness. Because don't you understand? That that money could have been used for the poor. Listen to this. This is important. Instead of assuming the best, they went right to the worst. You know what? You know what they said? I'm offended. Mary, I'm offended. I'm so offended that you would waste this perfume. And I'm so offended you need to be canceled. You're done, Mary. Hashtag Mary party over. Whatever would be trending in the first century. But I want us to understand something from this. Because I believe when we understand this, this is actually going to free us. And if it doesn't free us, it will surely offend us. But I want us to understand something about offense, and I want us to write this down at home. Write this one down. Being offended is a choice. Being offended is a choice. You see, in this moment, they're offended. They rebuke her harshly. But the truth is, they did not have to be offended. Because instead of assuming the best, they chose to look for the worst. And some of you say, no, 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 people do things to me. Listen, listen, listen. I want you to understand this because when we understand that offense is a choice, it's actually a power move. And the reason it's a power move is because for so many of us, we tie our feelings and our emotions to circumstances. We tie our feelings and emotions to people. You see, I spoke a lot about feelings last week. If you missed it, go check it out. But I want us to understand far too many of us live with a mindset that says feelings are fact. What that means is if I feel it, I have to act on it. I feel, therefore I am. And so if someone says something that hurts me, twinges me, tweaks me, makes me feel a certain way, I have to be offended. Why? Because my feelings are fact. But when we understand that being offended is a choice, it actually frees us. And the reason it frees us is because we can begin to take power back from people that should have no business having power over in our lives. When we can begin to say, you cannot offend me because I'm the one who chooses if I'm going to be offended or not. It's a power move. I'll give you guys an example. Um, I love to golf. So if you guys want to treat your pastor, come on, somebody. Um, (laughs) But I was golfing uh, a few weeks back uh, before the restrictions were put in place, but when they were announced. And I was talking to a guy at the course. He's the marshal. And the marshal's kind of like the big honcho on the course, keeps everyone in line. And we were just talking, and I asked him, um, and I said, hey, uh, what's going to happen with the new rules? Because, like, you can only golf with two people now. And he's like, yeah, you know what? Like, uh, the new rules are interesting. You can only golf with two people from the same household. But he said, you know what? I have no idea how they're going to regulate it. He was like, I don't know how they're going to figure out if people actually live together. He said, there's so many different scenarios. He said, for example, he said, uh, dark people and white people are now married, and that's okay. And so, like, how can you know if they're actually married? And in my head, I paused for a second. And I'm like, what year is this guy living in? (laughs) Like, now it's okay (laughs) for for colored people and non-colored people to be married? 
Now, I need you guys to understand something. I'm a mixed bag of goodness. And what I mean by that is I'm half East Indian. I got some Ukrainian in me. I got some Scottish in me as well. And uh, so I come from the dark and the light. And when I take what he said at face value, this idea that like now dark people and white people are allowed to be together, I could very easily be offended. I could, I could very easily be offended. And in a sense, some of you are saying at home, like, that is kind of offensive what he's saying. But I want us to understand something. Although what he said may be offensive, at the end of the day, it's my choice if I'm going to carry that. It's my choice if I'm going to make that a part of my life. And here's a bigger thing. It's my choice to assume the worst. You see, at the end of the day, I don't actually believe this dude was racist or ignorant. I think he just said something weird. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong, but at the end of the day, I'm going to choose to see the best in him. Why? Because I don't want to hold around a fence. And so when I understand that, that actually gives me power. When I understand that being offended is a choice, that gives me power. So I want you to understand. I want to speak to you guys at home. I want to speak to a culture that is perpetually offended. Take it back. What am I talking about? Take it back. Take back your power. For far too many people, we're giving our power to, to friends. We're giving our power to coworkers. We're giving our power to strangers. We're giving our power to people on Twitter we've never met to offend us. But what if, and here's a really simple thing. How can I take my power back? I'll say it like this. Assume the best instead of the worst. Assume to see the good in people instead of always looking for the bad. Because the truth is, it's very easy to see the worst. How do I do this though? You see, when we understand our situations, because some of us are saying, well, listen, Harrison, like, I get it. Okay, I can give people the benefit of the doubt sometimes. But what about the overt situations? What about the times when people really hurt me? What about the times when people are actually racist? When people are actually sexist? When people are actually bigots? Harrison, I need to call them out. Harrison, they need to face the music. They need to pay. They need to be canceled. They need to face retribution. Well, guess what? Retribution is fine. But God doesn't call Christians to retribution. He calls us to restoration. He's not looking for payback. He's looking for us to restore. And so in situations, you need to understand, you said, Harrison, it's good to call people out. It's good for them to get canceled, maybe. But I read a verse last week, and I'm going to bring it back here. But we live in a culture that says, in order for people to apologize, they must be canceled. If I cancel someone, then they'll apologize. But when I, when I read the Bible, and I remember the verse from last week, I'll reference it because you guys forget it. But the Bible, I can't find the verse you can show me that says canceling leads to, to change. But what the Bible says is that repentance comes from kindness. Kindness leads to repentance. Listen, blasting people, calling people out, canceling them, could that lead them to an apology? Yeah. But repentance is about so much more than apologizing. Repentance is about a changed heart, a new heart, a softened heart. And that happens, I believe, not through calling people out, but through kindness. Now, at the end of the day, some of you are saying, well, 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 how, well, well like that, what, well, how will they pay? 
How will they pay then? Like, what's going to happen? I need to, I need to. At the end of the day, think of it like this. If you get mad at someone, if you get angry at someone, how many times does that work out good for both parties? Not often. And so I want us to understand, how do we assume the best in people? I think we take the words of God seriously. Look what 1 Peter chapter 3 says. It says, don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. That is what God has called you to do. Oh, I'm, I'm a, that is what God has called you to do. I must have misread that. That's what God's called you to do. I don't see anything about canceling. I pay back with a blessing. That's what God's called us to do, and he will grant you a blessing. You see, my power is found in this. I want us to understand this. We're taking our power back. My power is found, and I'm always in control of what I hold on to. I'm always in control of what I harbor onto. And what Jesus says, instead of holding onto offense, he says, repay evil with blessing. Repay insult with kindness. When someone goes low, we go high. Come on, somebody. In a world that's seeking retribution, we as Christians seek restoration. God wants to change hearts. That's kind of the business that he's in. So understand again, the point, offense is a choice. It's my choice, what I hold on to. I want to keep going in the story. Um, I told you guys that the book of John chapter 12 has some important um, points that Mark chapter 14 doesn't give us. We're going to go to John chapter 12, and I want us to see something important. This is the same story, different gospel. Again, new details. It says, as one of his disciples, one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray Jesus, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. And look at this, verse 6. He didn't say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As a keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. So Mark doesn't give us this detail, but John says, listen, there was one guy leading the charge. It was Judas. Judas Iscariot, the one that would betray Jesus. He was the one saying, man, we should have given this money to the poor. It's a year's wages. But I love it. It says he didn't say that because he cared. In fact, he was a thief. And I wonder if he knew that it was a year's wages because maybe he was sizing it up. Yeah, that would look good in my collection. But I want us to see something here because it's really important. This is what I call fake outrage. It's fake outrage. It's this idea like I really pretend that I care. In this moment, Judas really pretended like he cared. He really pretended like he was so high and mighty. Listen, we could have given this to the poor. And you want to know what's interesting? The reason that Mark's gospel says they instead of just Judas is because Judas led the charge, but the other disciples joined in. And I wonder if the reason they joined in is because they saw Judas. And Judas is talking about the poor. And they're like, wait a second, Jesus talks about the poor. I can get into his good books if I condemn this act too. If he knows I'm about the poor. Yeah, Mary. <laughs> yeah. Could have given it to the poor. We're outraged. All of us are outraged. And I just think, and this is so interesting, I think that Judas is a really good example of what it means to be woke. And some of you guys think the Bible is an ancient text. No, 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 no. Wokeness isn't 2021. Judas was woke. And what I mean by that 
is that he really, really wanted to appear like he cared. He really, really wanted to appear like he wanted to make a difference. And so he says, the money could have been given to the poor. Don't you see? But here's a question I want to ask to all of us out there because I think we kind of live in a woke culture. Do we really care or do we just appear to care? Do we actually want change or do we want people just to think that we care about change? Come on, somebody, I'm hitting the heart today. Because Judas brings out a truth that I think so many of us really know to be true. And the truth is this. It is easier to say something than it is to actually do something. What I mean by that is it's easier to post something on social media. Come on, somebody than it is to actually care. It's really, really easy to post a hashtag, but it's harder to actually care. It's easy to say this money could have been given to the poor. It's harder to actually give a year's worth of something to Jesus. I remember, uh, I'll illustrate it like this. Back at the beginning of the pandemic, uh, I remember Jeff Bezos, uh, Amazon CEO. Uh, he gave away a bunch of money. In fact, it was $100 million that he gave away to charity, and which seems like a lot of money, uh, and he did it, you know, to help people struggling in the pandemic. Uh, and right away, uh, people began to take offense of this. For those of you guys that do not know, uh, Jeff Bezos is worth, give or take, $200 billion. He's got the highest network, net worth um, on the planet, uh, at least as far as I know it could change. And so as soon as Jeff Bezos gave $100 million away, a whole bunch of people began to do math. And they began to say, wait a second, Jeff Bezos gave away $100 million, but he's worth $200 billion. And what their calculator showed them was that in reality, Jeff Bezos only gave away 0.000001 of his wealth. And so a whole bunch of people got really, really, really righteous and they said, listen, Jeff Bezos didn't really do anything. His $100 million is the same as you and I giving away a dollar. It doesn't make a difference to him. He's greedy. And it's funny because they're doing calculations the same way that I think Judas was doing calculations. Come on, somebody. And a part of the reason we do this as a society, and if you posted that and if you shared that, I'm not here to blast you. But there is something in us that we want to appear virtuous, but we don't want to actually do anything. Because it is easier to say something than it is to actually do something. That's what Judas is doing here. And that's what happens in this moment, in, in this time. We're living in a culture where we have this thing called fake outrage. Pray for Palestine. Do you know what's happening in Palestine? Because it's easy to post a hashtag. It's easy to post, stop Asian hate. It's a whole lot harder to love the person that's really annoying in my life. Jesus doesn't call us to love from a distance. He doesn't call us to just speak. He calls us to actually do. It's fake outrage. It's easier to say something than to do something. You see, listen to this. The heart of cancel culture and really the heart of offense is a society that has built its worth on outward appearance meaning if people can think about me in a certain way, that's all that matters. And I wonder if that's what Jesus, Judas was doing 2,000 years ago. And I want to see something here. Judas again, John chapter 12. Judas, money to the poor. But look what it says. This is so interesting. 
It says, he did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As a keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. This is so interesting. This is the very definition of irony. Judas was criticizing Mary for not being careful with money when he himself was a thief. But I want us to understand something about Judas because I believe that it actually exposes something that is innate in all of us. You see, I want us to, I'm going to read this because I wrote it here. Good. If you can give me the slide. We are often, look at this. We are often outwardly critical of the things that we struggle with inwardly. Listen, listen, listen. We are often outwardly critical of others of the things that we struggle with inwardly ourselves. Why are we like this? Because it is easier to call out someone else than it is to change ourselves. It's easier to appear righteous than it is to pursue righteousness. And so Judas, instead of changing his heart, he calls out Mary. You want to know the ultimate irony of Judas? Is he betrays Jesus for a little bit of money. We often criticize the things that we struggle with the most. You know, for me, one thing that I'm really, I can't stand, I just can't stand hypocrisy. Like hypocrisy just, it just rubs me the wrong way. Like I really can't stand when people say like, just stay home, we're all in this together, and then they fly to Hawaii. Like I just, that, that rubs me the wrong way. I just, I, like any, any type of hypocrisy, like it literally just makes me angry. It, it just, it, it grinds something inside of me. And so I was just speaking to the Lord this week and I said, God, like why does hypocrisy make me so angry? You want to know what he said? He said, hypocrisy makes you angry because you're a hypocrite. It's because you see it in yourself. And it's easier to get mad at other people than it is to change what's in yourself. You see, I talk about forgiveness, but I struggle with forgiving. I talk about not canceling people. There's some people I want to cancel. Come on, somebody. (laughs) You see, we're often most critical of the things that we struggle with inwardly. But this is really important. You see, what I said is we have a choice to see the best in people or to look for the worst. Do you want to know why we look for the best in people? It's because I need people to see the best in me. Because I have some bad things. I have some sore parts. The reason I don't seek to cancel, listen to this, is because I could so easily be canceled. I was reading, I read a verse this week and I've read the whole Bible. But I love when I read verses that like I forgot or didn't know they were in the Bible. Look at Ecclesiastes chapter seven. This is written by Solomon. It says, indeed, look at this. There is no one on earth who is righteous. No one who does what is right and never sins. Look at this part, 21, 22. Do not pay attention then to every word people say, or you may hear your servant cursing you. Any of you guys ever heard someone talk bad about you? Someone ever hurt your feelings? How could they do that? They're monsters. They were supposed to be my friend. He says, don't worry about it. Why? For you know in your heart that many times you have cursed others. The reason I don't get offended is because I do the same thing to other people. The reason I give grace. Come on, somebody. You know, I think a lot of us, we have this idea when we look at situations 
and we put ourselves in the other person's shoes. And we say things like, if I was in their shoes, I would never do what they did. If that was me, I would never do that. I would never treat them like that. I would think better. One thing for me, like I read the Bible sometimes and I'm like, man, like if that was me, like I don't, like I would never betray Jesus or I would never be able to stand by and I don't know how all the disciples left when he was crucified. I would have been strong. I would have been there. There's a song though, and I love this song. It's an old song. Uh, we don't sing it uh, at Kingdom Church. We haven't sang it. This is from like 30 years ago, but I love it. It's called How Deep the Father's Love for Us. And there's a line in the song, and it convicts me every single time. Every single time I think I would have done better. Every single time I think I have it all together. It goes like this. I want, I want to read it. I'm not going to sing it. Um, I'll come back to that. This is what it says. It says, behold the man, this is, this is the song, upon a cross, my sin upon his shoulders. I love this next part. It says, ashamed, I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. And so what that means and the reason it convicts me is because it's like, man, if I was in that situation, I'd probably be the one throwing things, spitting, Ashamed I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. You see, the reason I give grace, we can go back to it now, is because I need grace. The reason I give grace, the reason I repay bless evil with blessings is because I need grace. I need grace so badly. If you need grace in the comments, you can just raise your hand. I give grace because I need grace. Now, I want you to understand something. And the reason this humbles us is because each and every one of us needs to understand this truth. And I think intrinsically, we all know this. And the reason that we seek to call out other people, to pour on other people, is because that is easier than facing our own truth. What is our own truth is deep down inside, I am messed up. Deep down inside, I am a hypocrite. Deep down inside, I am broken. Deep down inside, I don't deserve anything. Deep down inside, I know in my spirit that Jesus should have, Jesus could have, if he wanted to, God could have canceled me. I know that in my spirit. And I know for a lot of us, maybe that's what we feel. And the reason we condemn is because we feel condemnation on ourselves. I'm not good enough. I'll never be good enough. There's always that voice ringing back and forth. But I want to go to the gospel of Mark because I believe that the same thing that Jesus says to Mary, Jesus says to every single one of us, every single person that has ever felt like they are not enough, every single person that has heard a voice of condemnation, every single person that has felt like God does not, could not be for them. I want to read the words of Jesus. In Mark chapter 12, he says to Mary, and he says to you and I today, he says, leave her alone. In the face of condemnation, in the face of rebuking, he says, leave her alone. I want you to understand today, Jesus is saying to the voices, to the critics, leave them alone. She's done a beautiful thing. She has done a beautiful thing. 
You see, here's the beauty of Jesus and here is the ultimate reason. I give grace because I need grace, but here's an even better truth. I give grace because grace has been given to me. I give grace because when God should have, when God could have canceled me, he didn't. Leave her alone, leave them alone. That's who God is, he's an advocate. And so what if God is calling us in a culture of offense to be advocates for people? Say, leave them alone. I'm gonna choose to see the best in them, not the worst. I'm gonna choose to serve them, to love them, not to cancel them. And listen, here's a promise, because some of you guys are saying, man, I mess up. How could God not cancel me? It's because of the cross, 1 John chapter two. It says, my dear children, I write, you to, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But, in the comments you can shout, but, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not only for our sins, but for the sins of the entire world. I give grace because grace has been given to me. Because Jesus has covered my sins. Jesus has covered my shame. And in a moment when God could have condemned us, when God could have canceled us, you want to know what he did and said? He sent his son, Jesus, who is now our advocate, who is now our example. Listen to this, church. I deserve death, for the wages of sin is death but mercy and grace is found in Christ Jesus. And so today, mercy has come to our homes and it came in the form of a person, his name is Jesus. So listen, right now, wherever you are, in your home, driving, in this room, I want you to understand that God is for you, that he is your advocate. And the reason that we can repay kindness, goodness with grace is because Christ first did it with us. I love the words of Jesus, leave her alone. That's who he is, that's the heart of the Father. And so when the enemy condemns, God is for us. And I want you to understand, God is for you today. And so if you've never known this truth, that God is for you and you want to make that decision today, I want to encourage you, right now, fill the connect card online because we want to get in touch with you. We want to show you who Jesus is. We want to walk with you. Right now, we're going to pray together. God, thank you so much for your grace. Thank you so much for your goodness. God, thank you so much for who you are, for what you've done. We love you, Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen. Hey, thank you so much for taking the time to listen. We hope that message encouraged and inspired you. If you want more information, if you made a decision to follow Jesus, head over to kingdomchurch.ca. We'd love to connect with you. Until next time, take care.